the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. And I just kicked a field goal to set myself up for a key tiebreaker just in case it comes in handy later in the season. Um, <laughs> look, we've got a lot to get to. We are uh, joining you live here at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. It's about 1143 on the East Coast. Oregon is in action, uh, currently nursing a lead against Washington State. Uh, San Diego State with a narrow lead over Nevada. So we've still got some action out there. And if anything goes crazy, as I you know, have said here before, we'll be sure to give you our live reaction to it. But uh, Baylor over Oklahoma, clearly one of the big headliners today. Michigan takes care of business at Penn State. Uh, a lot to get to. So uh, I want to just sort of bring this up right off the top. Bud, the Knowles. Whoo, man. Um, what a game. That was like one of the most... Didn't have a lot of stakes, but good lord, was that exciting! Just back and forth, nonstop. You know, defensively, you got to really hand it to them. I, I, I don't think that defensive staff has done a great job for some of the year, um, and like they clearly have a lot more talent than their offense does. But they basically just said, "Hey, we're going to sit in some deep shell coverage and let our defensive line kick your ass and see if you can execute and run the ball underneath. We'll invite you to run and come tackle you, and we'll invite you to throw screens and some underneath stuff and." Like for the first time, pretty much all season, Tyler Van Dyke was not not able to you know push the ball down the field and hit those explosive plays. He had a couple. One was on that, that like triple reverse you know pass thing, uh, and then offensively they whew, they kind of went to sleep for about twenty minutes. I thought Miami kind of had all the answers there, and then they got desperation mode. They're like, all right, Jordan, chuck it up, and he did. That was that was huge, man. I I didn't catch much of this game, so I will definitely be leaning on uh, Tom. Did you catch much of this one? I caught the last seven minutes or so. I wasn't paying attention to much before that. This so Miami at one point was on pace to commit four hundred and fifteen yards of penalties. <laughs> they stopped at one hundred and five, though. Yeah. All right. So on the FSU's opening drive, they committed five penalties, including two personal fouls, which was very helpful because uh, not like FSU's offense is great, right? So, uh, yeah, they had three offsides almost in a row. And then they had two, uh, they had a late hit out of bounds and then a horse collar on top of it. And she's like, all right, thank you very much. And then Jermaine Johnson, uh, who, how crazy is it that Jermaine Johnson couldn't start for Georgia? Right. And he's out there wrecking Miami against a guy that's going to get drafted uh, on the offensive line. That was pretty huge, man. I, I was, uh, I was not sure they could hold up with that game plan the whole time. And they, they managed to pull it off. That was really impressive. They didn't allow the explosives. 
What about Kansas and Texas? Something, I mean, something crazy happened there. I, I'm just, I can't quite wrap my head around what the Texas like. We we are in this position right now where we are trying to fire all these coaches and we're trying to look at all these results and we're trying to say like oh this means they're going to get fired this means they're not going to get fired like if is if there's an opinion on what this does or doesn't mean for Manny Diaz I'll entertain it I don't think I've got a good feel one way or the other I don't think that this game sways it one way or the other but I do believe that uh, it is too early to fire Steve Sarkeesian at this point in the situation. But holy cow, the season has been backsliding very, very quickly. And losing to a 1-8 Kansas team has to be uh, the cherry on top, right? Well, I mean, what's hilarious is, like, Kansas is, or Texas's problem has been in the second half, blowing leads. Tonight in the second half, including overtime, they outscored Kansas 42-22, to and they lost by one. I mean, there's there's clearly problems within that program right now, like in the locker room, just everywhere. Like we've seen, you know, the video last week, players recording that stuff, Sark getting into arguments with players at practice. Like, obviously, there is some kind of divide between this new coaching staff and the players that were there before who played under Tom Herman. And I don't know what the problem is. It could be that after being at Alabama for the last few years, Sarkeesian has been sabinified and processified, and he's coming to Texas and he's trying to implement a new culture and way of doing things that the players there just aren't used to and are kind of pushing back against. Or it could just be a whole bunch of other stuff that's causing problems and the players don't trust the coaches and maybe the coaches don't trust the players and it's coming through off the field and it's coming through on the field because that's just – it's. It's a mess. I mean, I don't want to take any credit away from Kansas here. Kansas deserves all the credit in the world. It played well. It finished. It got kind of hairy there at the end. They nearly blew it. They rallied too many times in the past. Kansas teams would have blown that lead, and it would have just been over. Texas would have won, and everybody would have moved on. This Kansas team fought back, won the game. It's awesome for them. And this is a Texas program that there's a long way to go before. I mean, and... Honestly, by the time they get to the SEC, it might even push the progress back further because you're going to be going from playing Kansas and TCU and those schools to playing, you know, Arkansas and Mississippi State as your quote unquote gimmies. Well, speaking of Harry, uh, Texas hasn't won since the pole assassin. So, I mean, they were, they were Leopold I mean, assassin tonight. Jeff, you, you, you can't just walk into the you know haunted house that is a game against Kansas and not expect to get bit, bro. <laughs> there was there like, was this sign back there. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Texas is alleging, you know, that there was at least some sort of implied waiver uh involved with uh, this the, this contest oh. between the two. Texas should have put up a sign, please don't enter our end zone. Like they maybe they'll go write it now. <laughs> um speaking of the SEC, it it falls on the same day that Oklahoma loses to Baylor. Now, Texas losing to Kansas has to exist in a different discussion as Oklahoma losing to Baylor. But oh, I, same do, thing. I do think that for the purposes of a transition, as we're trying to you know start to work our way around a very, very busy day in college football, before we get to Michigan and Penn State, the, 
there is uh, a Caleb Williams performance that is downright disappointing, especially considering uh, these built-in expectations that I know I had and I believe others shared that a week off uh, Lincoln Riley four and one against the spread coming out of the bye week. Uh, Caleb Williams, somebody who got thrust into the starting position in the middle of the season. I thought that this was going to be an opportunity for him to have one of his best performances. I think the Oklahoma defense, while there were certainly some big breakdowns on very key plays, I'm having trouble just pointing the blame right there. So what do we make of the Baylor result? Because you can come away from it thinking like, okay, we should really reframe this Baylor team as probably one that blew an opportunity against TCU and could be much higher. Uh, or, you know, do we look at this as Oklahoma playing down? Do you understand what I, I'm looking for here? Like, I, I'm trying to figure out how to justify these two teams because the the next step of the conversation is what happens in the Big 12. Oklahoma State also with a very impressive win uh, this weekend. So I, I managed to watch pretty much all of this from start to finish. And one thing it's important to remember, guys, is that Oklahoma was kind of theoretical still. Like, we had talked about this a lot, okay? Kind of a slowest start to the year. Then they got all their DBs hurt in the month of October. They got a lot of those guys back. We'll see how good they are with Caleb Williams. We think their offense is better. Obviously, some of the teams they lit up with Caleb Williams have turned out you know, not to be that great defensively, including uh, Kansas and Texas, uh, obviously. So Oklahoma's offense just was not able to move the football. I, I thought Baylor had a tremendous game plan for those guys. They consistently were able to figure out who the, who the number one read was for Caleb, I thought, and made him – like move off his mark, made him move his feet a little bit, but like they didn't let him just run wild outside the pocket. Uh, they were very physical on defense, and you know this really was an Oklahoma offense. Oklahoma's defense, I thought, played very well. They had one really bad play. They had a couple kind of silly personal fouls, but they had one really bad play where they allowed a seventy-five yard run, you know, to Smith. But other than that, I thought that was a really nice defensive performance. It actually gave me a lot of like early in the game. I said, "Oh man, Baylor's in trouble." Oklahoma's defense is lighting them up, but Oklahoma's offense never, never held up its end of the bargain. Baylor's just a good football team. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think obviously they they got caught last week at TCU, as we've seen a lot of good football teams do in this sport from time to time. Like you know, sometimes Texas loses at home to Kansas. So, I just that's my biggest takeaway. Baylor is a good football team. Oklahoma is a good football team. Baylor was better than Oklahoma today. And I think that there's something to be said about Dave Aranda and Lincoln Riley in that Aranda has Lincoln's number. Beat him oh, when he was because of the LSU Oklahoma game where Oklahoma couldn't do anything in that first half. Last year too. Oh man. This is I mean this it this is there's a trend here. Dave Yeah, he's got something for him. Oklahoma's offense does not do well against Dave Aranda coach teams. We did say this in, in, in the locks pod uh, mm-hmm. where we took the under. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is just a legit Baylor team who held that Oklahoma offense to 260 yards. They averaged only 4.9 yards per play against them and just beat them. Like, I don't think there's anything fluky about it. I don't think there's anything weird about it. I thought I agreed with you, bud, because watching that game early, too, I thought it was only going to be a matter of time the way Oklahoma's defense was playing. It's like Baylor was pushing the ball down the field, but Oklahoma was just disrupting everything. It, it was the same thing. We'll get to it later, too. It's the Michigan-Penn State game. And I just said, okay, at some point, this is going to break through, and Baylor's going to get stuck, and Oklahoma's going to pull away. And that was just me underestimating Baylor, because, again, it's a good football team. 
it's going to be a top 10 team at the end of the season. It could be playing for a Big 12 title at the end of the year. It might win the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, I. by the way, I, I want to give a shout out to Aranda uh, for really having a total 180. I think we mentioned this maybe a couple weeks ago, but last year I watched him manage games and I was like, oh, Lord, this guy mm-hmm. is a defensive coordinator being a head coach. And this year, I don't know if he went to like game management school or something in the offseason or he just has that much more confidence in offensive coordinator Jeff Grimes. But like now you can, there's a plan there. They manage like third and fourth down sequences in opponent territory. It's like, you know what? We're going to run, you know, QB sweep with Bohannon here on third and seven from the 42 because we feel like we can get, you know, a manageable fourth down distance type thing. There's a plan there. He's not doing this like punting from a 35 nonsense anymore. That's a big deal. And I've reached the point where I know like we've talked about for LSU, obviously James Franklin's name come up. We've talked about Mel Tucker. What about Dave Aranda? For the he's LSU there. job, like I, I think he's there, but I mean, it's <laughs> you, just say it like, you, like you, you just like Bud just said, this is not only a coach who's been an excellent defensive coordinator his entire career, he's a coach who showed growth. And you don't see a lot of guys show growth, honestly. Once they get to the top spot, they feel like, all right, this is who I am, I got here, let's go. He, he saw the problems he had last year with that team. He went into the offseason and said, all right, these are my weak spots. This is what I need to fix. This is what I need to address. He went out and he did it. And now look at Baylor. It's legitimate Big 12 title contender in one year. And last, because they were bad last year, man. And that is a quick turnaround. It's not like he brought in a bunch of crazy transfers and overhauled the roster. He overhauled his approach and he overhauled his coaching staff. And it's paying immediate dividends. So I don't know if I'm only giving more argument to this, but LSU's defense was really bad at the start of the 2019 season. Got lit up a couple times. And they under, and some of it was health, like Grant Delpit was a little bit banged up, and there were a couple of players that had to play out of position. They had some depth issues on the back end. But I talked to Dave Aranda for about like 15 minutes down in New Orleans prior to the national championship game about that season and about the improvement that that group had. It was a, you know you write like 12 stories national championship week. None of them get read because everyone's like, oh, it's the end of the season. But like one of my favorite ones that I wrote was about how that LSU defense was a really big part of the title run. And the way that that group was able to, um, in Dave Aranda's words, improve, take ownership, buy in. Like the idea that Dave Aranda can lead these overhauls, I guess I'm only giving more endorsement of Dave Aranda as a head coaching candidate somewhere else. Apologies to Baylor fans. You've clearly got yourself a good one. If you've still got Dave Aranda and Jeff Grimes together for the start of 2022, I'm putting Baylor as a top three team in the Big 12 almost on principle, almost blindly, Mm -hmm. just because of what I've been able to see from this team so far this season. No challenge? No, I I, I think it's... I think it's fair. I mean, like, I, I don't want to go just based on the most recent game, but the most recent game is probably the most important data point, and they they looked really good today, you know, defensively. Offensively, I think some credit needs to be given to Oklahoma for, you know, for their offense or for their defense, how they played. And also, you know, Bohannon, somebody tweeted, like, oh, if he could just make these throws. Like, if he could make these throws consistently, they would be favored. <laughs> be favored. Right? Yeah, it's like, like tweet. <laughs> I mean, he misses some of these by, like, it's, it's not in the stadium. But he didn't miss the ones that like he threw it to the opponent, which was pretty key. Of course, now that we've blown up Miranda like this, they're definitely going to lose to Kansas State next week. Well, Oklahoma State also looked really good today. And 
you know, we've, we have to always have our sliding scale for, you know, what we're going to expect, but the, the Cowboys putting 50 on the board is sticker shock. So box score bandits, take me inside. Was that, was that a legit 50? Yeah. Okay. I mean, TCU's defense is bad. Like I, I locked up the over in this game specifically because I felt like obviously it was based on the way Oklahoma state's played all season, their offense, but I just looked at this matchup against TCU defense. So I was like, no, Oklahoma State's going to be able to put up points against this team. They put up a lot more points than I expected. I mean, they they hit the over on their own. They went for 669? Yeah. Oh, no. They, this was. Oh, I didn't see this one yet. Wow. This was just a straight up ass kicking. This was like, they they just blew the doors off of TCU. Just, there's they an scored Oklahoma, a 63 yard touchdown to end the game. Mm-hmm. There's the an Oklahoma play. State <laughs> argument. That Oklahoma State is the best team in the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think so. Um, but like, I don't want to fall in love with any one of these teams because they're all capable of beating each other. Yes. Like, if you told me, "Hey, Bud, Oklahoma wins the Big Twelve, I buy it. If you tell me Baylor does, maybe Iowa it. State, <laughs> Kansas State, you know, Oklahoma State, any of those. I, well, I it ain't going to be Iowa possible. State after losing to Texas Tech. Yeah. But, but Chip, I, I thought last year was a stepping stone year, and that they they were going to take another another leap. <laughs> no need to rub it in. They lost. Yeah, they're just, they're they lost on a sixty-two <laughs> yard field goal, man. Don't get Glenn Mason. They're, 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 their feelings are already Texas hurt Tech, enough. Texas Tech. Joey McGuire came in there, kicked a sixty-two yard field goal. No, um, no, Oklahoma State, I think, is the most complete team in the Big Twelve right now. But like Bud just said, that doesn't mean they are incapable of losing one of these games. Like they lost to Iowa State twenty-four to twenty-one earlier this year. Texas Tech on the road next week. We just saw it. that's going to be tricky. And then they've got Bedlam. And it's hard to just assume Oklahoma State's going to beat Oklahoma when Oklahoma State never beats Oklahoma. Um, also, shout out to Bud for mentioning the late score for Oklahoma State because if you heard me say the words 50-burger, it's because my notes were made before Oklahoma State scored the last study to uh, bring them to 63 as the final. Um we don't normally go conference by conference. I like to sort of take the conversation wherever we think, or the the viewers who are joining us here. Please, by the way, we've got so many viewers that are in here. Won't, will you smash that like for us? Like we just just go on and go on and hit that like because I see all y'all are here hanging out watching these uh, watching these takes here instantly uh, as we hit midnight on the East Coast. But we get paid I, by the like. If you don't hit the like button, we will all lose our homes. Uh, that, maybe y'all will. My my, investment, my investments are solidified. <laughs> uh, so Florida has an absolute um, like the fire is in the kitchen. It's in the house. It is all around and there's not even anyone to sit by the mug like the dog to say that this is fine because no one is saying that it is fine. It is merely Florida fans trying to get to the end of the season and wondering when this happens. So as we sit here, we have just crossed into Sunday on the East Coast. Do you think that Dan Mullen is going to lose his job after the way that Samford played against Florida in Gainesville with Missouri and Florida State left? I don't know why everybody's so mad. Florida scored 70 points and had 717 yards offense. There was the stat. 
CBS, our RCC on CBS account tweeted it today. Florida gave up 42 points in the first half to Samford today. Georgia has allowed 29 points in the first half all season. They also said on the broadcast that it was a school record number of points in the first half ever, which is not great to give up to an FCS team. By the way, right before we hit record tonight, oh, not a touchdown. Sorry. Uh, Tom's like, we can't be all be feeling good about this lock, lock uh, unity. And then I said, Oregon does not exactly keep their foot on the gas when they play these games, and it's about to be 14 all. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, I don't know that firing the defensive coordinator uh, was going to make an immediate improvement unless you think for some reason that the kids hated the D.C., and I don't think that's really the case. Um, I think it was more of like a sacrificial thing showing, hey, I'm willing to make changes, and those changes have to be accompanied by like new staff coming in next year. The one problem for them is this. FSU has Jordan Travis back. They are still playing really hard, and they don't seem to quit. Florida has a little bit of quit in them, I think. Like, they didn't seem like they gave a shit today. So, and obviously the South Carolina game, how much of that was the flu, how much was not, argue amongst yourselves. If FSU goes into Boston next week and beats BC, they will need that win in in Gainesville to get bowl eligible. If you're Dan Mullen, you don't feel great about that at this point because – the only thing FSU really does well is run, and they have a defensive line that could give you some problems. But if he wins out, I don't think he gets fired. The Florida defense in the first half did not look interested in doing anything. Like they like Samford was just getting anything it wanted. Liam Welch looked like Cam Newton. Like Florida defenders were just kind of like, ugh. <laughs> like gently putting their shoulder into guys, hoping they would fall down, and it was not working. I mean, obviously, they got lit into it at halftime. And also, I think that at some point, your own pride has to kind of step in when you've just given up 42 points to freaking Samford. But, yeah, I, I don't know if Dan Mullen's going to get fired off of this. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think it'll be tomorrow. But I, I do think that the way the rate things are going, like this just fell apart really quick from the beginning, coming in with the expectations for this season, where they were at the beginning of the season, it's like, all right, they're not going to win the SEC. They're probably not going to get to playoff, but they're still going to have a successful season. And then now we're here like three, four weeks later, and it's like, is Dan Mullen going to get fired tomorrow or at the end of the season? I don't know. It's just, it's been such a really quick, crazy decline. I'm trying to figure out the last team I remember seeing something like this happening with. Florida State. Was yeah, but mm, was last year they yeah. were really yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm What's only in saying the water that, in Florida, man. Well, uh, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it's like the whole bottom falling out situation, and that's what we're saying. Where we you go from being right there pushing Alabama in the SEC championship game, it, a game which I always believe the final score is a little bit misleading to the way the game script played out because watching the game and covering the game for CBS Sports HQ, it was only late in the game that you were like, hey, maybe Florida will be able to pull this off because Alabama had the edge for so much of it. But the scoreboard is a scoreboard, and Florida fans went into the offseason saying we were within one score of Alabama, the awesome Alabama team that ran through the college football playoff. You know, Look at what we've got going. Look at these New Year's Six appearances. And still to go from that real quickly to 
debating, as you mentioned, Tom, whether or not Dan Mullen's going to keep his job. Like those sorts of bottom fallout is what takes me back to the Florida State, where, you know, sure, the 14 season was uncomfortable. Bud can speak to it more than, you know, anybody else. Just the continuing the winning streak is just so tough. They had so many of those games where they came back to one win, but then by the time you did get to the end a couple years later, you're like, man, this is team doesn't seem dialed in. The performance is lackluster. The, the effort, not the effort necessarily across the board, but at least the, the consistency quality of a port of performance, attention to detail. just not there, man. And that comes back on coaching and the, I mean, I saw um, Coca joked in the chat earlier uh, with all of everybody who's who's joining us at youtube.com slash cover three live uh, here on YouTube that yeah, do you think Dan Mullen forgot to name somebody a new defensive coordinator? Like, do you, do you think that it, it would just it fell it fell between the cracks? Like, oh, crap, somebody's got to call a plays. Like, was the defense out there actually just freewheeling it? I don't know. I Obviously, Chris Robinson was supposed to take over the play calling duties, as we know from the uh, Florida press release. But I think that when you see a roster that is allegedly checked out and plenty of the evidence suggests that many of the players are not turning in the same level of attention to detail that you had against Alabama earlier this season, then you might want to make a move just to avoid getting embarrassed at Missouri. You might want to make a move just to avoid getting embarrassed against Florida State. Like maybe you just make a move to be able to motivate the roster. I'd I don't know. That's what has led me to at least go into Sunday anticipating the possibility that Dan Mullen will be relieved of his duties. Possible. I hope not. I got to work early. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's emergency pod worthy. So obviously I hope not to. <laughs> I don't have AP poll duty or coaches poll duty, but you know what? I've put worse things into the universe and brought myself to an emergency podcast. Hey, maybe punt will show up for that one too. Cool. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> All right. So we offered, uh, we offered up a little bit of an incentive a uh, little while back. We said that if we hit 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, we would give away one year of Paramount plus and now it is time for us to pay that back to you, the loyal listeners and loyal viewers here of the Cover 3 Podcast. Now, since this is a YouTube uh, subscriber deal, we are going to offer this to you, the viewers who are watching live with us right now on YouTube.com slash Cover 3. So here's the deal. Uh, Tom has a trivia question based on today's action. And if you have the right answer for the trivia question, number one, and include your Twitter handle in the answer, we will grab one of those correct answers and you will receive a full year of Paramount Plus. So, Tom, what is our Paramount Plus trivia question of the day? Well, first of all, whoever wins, you have to share your login with me so I could have Paramount Plus for free for a year. But the question is, Kansas beat Texas today on the road in Austin. Road conference wins are not something that happens very often with Kansas. In fact, it's been a very long time since Kansas won a road game. So the trivia question is, when was the last time before tonight that Kansas won a road Big 12 playoff game and who did they beat? Mm, so remember. So we want the year and the opponent. 
and your Twitter handle in the answer. Kansas road playoff game. Road conference game. Road conference game. Road conference game. Playoff game is very future. Yeah. All right, we'll let, go ahead and let those. Uh, do you just want to take the year? Uh, looks like John okay. Mack what? Uh, got it. Here All right, it. there we go. All right, John Macquat, we're, uh, we're, we will be in touch with you. We got that uh, Coca checked in. Uh, you know, John Macquat, what we want to do is DM the Cover 3 podcast account and Coca will get in touch with you and we will figure it out from there. Congratulations. Enjoy Paramount+. Plus. Enjoy watching CBS Sports HQ on there. You can watch the SEC on CBS. You can watch all the old seasons of The Challenge. You can watch all the old seasons of Survivor. You can watch like a thousand different Star Treks. It's awesome. Old school MacGyver, old school Y five O, like all, all, yeah, like if you you can get really old school, mm-hmm. and also those sweet, sweet like two seasons of Detroiters that I can just <laughs> keep going back and watch it again and again and again. Not to mention all the soccer content. Yeah, and of course all of the soccer content, which is Bud's favorite part. Of I'm big on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming up on the other side, we get into more of our observations, takeaways, and lessons learned from week 11 next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account. Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. All right, so um, we've we've already gotten into some floor. I mean, there's uh, remarkable performances and endings uh, in uh, Ole Miss, Texas A and M, Wake Forest with a 45-42 win, just uh, nuts at the end against NC State. Uh, Georgia 
you know, they were just down 10-7 and everyone's like, how are they going to do coming back from a deficit? And from the second quarter on, they totally dominated against the Vols. Uh, Ohio State got out here and played probably its best game of the year. Shoot. You know what, Tom? You live blogged Michigan at Penn State and there was a whole ride of emotions for me watching that game. But since you were plugged into it as the expert, I want you to lead us there. Why don't we start with uh, the Wolverines' big win in Happy Valley? It was kind of strange because my biggest takeaway while I was watching that game was it's like it's been a thing I've been kind of ruminating on for a while. It's been sitting there. I don't really want to say it because I've been in that position before where I've said, you know what, Michigan's good. And then Michigan, you know, usually craps its pants. But this is, I think, the best Michigan team that Jim Harbaugh has had. I think it is the most complete. I think it is the most well-rounded. They went on the road today. They did not have Blake Corm, who has a high ankle sprain. The team's leading rusher, him and Hassan Haskins, have been splitting the load. They didn't make the trip. He's out for a few weeks. It's like, oh, that's a pretty significant loss to have on a road game like this. It didn't matter. Son Haskins just carried the ball twice as many times for 156 yards as he normally does. Cade McNamara, only 217 yards, but three touchdowns, no turnovers, takes care of the football. They just know who they are, and they do a very good job of doing it on offense, and they're very well balanced. And, you know, they, they get the game ceiling touchdown on a crossing route, which is like, I wonder where Michigan saw crossing routes tearing yes. teams apart and how effective they could be and then used one and turned it into a 47-yard touchdown to put the final nail in Penn State's coffin. But then defensively, they are just monsters. They had 12 tackles for loss. They had seven sacks. Aiden Hutchinson and David Jabo combined for five sacks, two forced fumbles, just an incredible combination. And I honestly think, like, I'm watching this game like, man, this is this is Michigan's best shot at beating Ohio State right now. And then the game ends, and Ohio State went into Death Star mode against Purdue. And then it was like, oh, okay, well, they I don't think this Michigan team can beat Ohio State if Ohio State's playing like this. Also, wasn't there just like, uh, so my notepad has, uh, you know, Michigan, this can be the Michigan team to beat Ohio State. And then right below it, I wrote, Michigan still has 404 system errors. Like, there was a very pivotal stretch where Michigan could not get out of its own way and could not put this game away. And maybe it's the setting, but, and that's where I'll also sort of turn it back to you. Like, I think that I had more confidence about Michigan 35 to 38 minutes into this game than I did all the way down the stretch. I mean, Penn State was solid defensively. It's just the thing about this game is it was only 21 to 17. Penn State blew a few chances early. Like, I feel the decision of Penn State to go for it on fourth and goal from the two with a fake field goal was just dumb. And it ruined the game. Cause, like, they had, they'd gone for a fake punt on their very first drive to extend the drive, which, by the way, Michigan called a timeout thinking that Penn State was going to run a fake punt. And then Penn State ran the fake punt anyway and converted it. But then Michigan's defense did what it had been doing the whole day and just disrupted it. And that few plays later, they get the field goal. But if Penn State's able, if Penn State just goes for it on fourth and two there and scores a touchdown and is up 10 to nothing, I think they win this game. Instead, they got cute and did a stupid fake field goal and it cost them. Michigan, you know, took advantage of that, realized it had a second life, went, scored, took the lead, and never really looked back. And after that, I never, I even though they never pulled away, 
I never thought Michigan was in any danger of losing this game just because Penn State offensively. That's you know that's one thing I want. I owe Sean Clifford an apology because I've been very rough on him the last few years on this show, and I have said that he's the one thing holding Penn State back. And now, irony of ironies, he's the only thing carrying him forward. There is nothing else on that offense besides Jahan Dotson worth a damn. But Jahan Dotson doesn't do a whole lot for you when Sean Clifford is getting hit or touched or sacked within two and a half seconds of every time he gets the ball. So like the entire Penn State offense now has gone from just being Jahan Dotson to Sean Clifford trying to survive as long as possible to just try to get the ball to a receiver before he gets crushed or running for his life and picking up first downs that way because they offer absolutely nothing else offensively right now. I mean, Tom nailed that. Like, I will say I, I did think Penn State was going to win when they scored there at the end. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Michigan hits that long touchdown. I was like, that's probably a wrap. Like, it's not like Michigan's offense looked that good to me. But Penn State has really good defense, and they do not allow explosive plays typically. And that was that was really impressive. Um, for Ohio State, uh, I did get a good bit of this game in, and I don't – I'm having trouble finding outrage with the defense. But should I, should I be – I mean, because we got Michigan State coming up next, and then we got Michigan after that. Uh Aiden O'Connell moved the ball very, very well through the air, and David Bell had 100 yards, just like he has had against all of the top 10 teams that he's played this year. But I still thought that some of it was the nature of how quickly Ohio State was scoring, how many possessions Purdue got in the game, and the fact that Ohio State kept Purdue at a distance the entire way. I just don't have... Outrage is the wrong word. I don't have a level of concern that seems really, really dramatic in terms of uh, where Ohio State is defensively. If I was to nitpick, it's that it did seem like Aiden O'Connell had a lot of time back there in the pocket to you know work through his progressions. And Purdue's been pretty good at the line of scrimmage all year, but still, uh, I don't know, man. I'm coming away, like you said, Tom, with nothing but... Im- Nothing but feelings like Ohio State impressed in a way that is going to justify any confidence in the Buckeyes to be able to get through these next two games, win them both, and also win the Big Ten. Purdue's offense was empty calories. There was it. Penn that that game was over so quick. Like Ohio State scored on its first drive, and then Penn State comes back and ties it, and that's the one time it's like, okay, cool, we got a game here, and then the game was over because then Ohio State scored the next four touchdowns. So before the second quarter, you know, at the start of the second quarter, it's already 35-7 to Ohio State. So after that, they're not exactly going to do anything exotic on defense. They kind of just went into a shell and says, well, (laughs) they're not coming back from four touchdowns on us because they can't stop us. And that's exactly what happened. Like, yeah, Purdue put up some yards and put up some points after that, but the game was already over before they ever did anything of importance. I mean, Henderson's nasty. Ohio State's defense, I think, is getting better, actually, somewhat. But Tom's right. Like, that's just hard to keep that magic going that many weeks in a row for Purdue's offense, unless you think they're actually that good, and I, I don't. I mean, Aiden Connell, listen, he played well. I think he's playing so much better. I mean, this was the Purdue team that was like using three different quarterbacks to try and figure things out. It was very much like patchwork early in the season. The fact that O'Connell has been playing so much better. And you you know who didn't have a touchdown catch? Like Bell. 
Yeah. Why? Because Ohio State was able to limit him. You know, like he didn't go for a hundred against Notre Dame, but Notre Dame wasn't a top ten team when they played. It was number twelve in the country. But, but whatever. Yeah, no, Aiden O'Connell played well, but the truth is, it's like I said, if this wasn't a blowout, Aiden O'Connell's not putting up those numbers. If Ohio State's in a position where it has to be, you know, doing something on defense in this game, Aiden O'Connell's probably not throwing for four hundred yards and four touchdowns if it's a seven point, fourteen point game the entire time. So what Michigan State had, uh, I called it a get right kind of win uh, against Maryland. Oh, so we didn't. We we need to actually mention some unprecedented uh, cover three podcast locks situation. Oh. I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> High five. We middled it. We middled it. We uh, both buds under and chips over in Michigan State, Maryland. Have miraculously both cashed because we were mm-hmm. at 60 and a half on the over and at 61 and a half on the under. And daggummit, Sparty 40, Maryland 21. That's a 61 on the board. Uh, I looked at this game, and again, similar to uh, a comment about the uh, Ohio State Purdue game, this thing was what 27 14 27 7 in the first half like sure you know maryland was able to you know get to 21 which i guess that was my bet when i dropped the locks but i'm still not coming out of this with any sort of major concerns if anything i i think it was probably good for sparty to just be back home get back out get running and and get yourself a win i, I don't have any big notes on this for michigan state this was a pretty standard Sparty game. They played red zone roulette and won. Maryland had three red zone possessions, got seven points out of it. Turned the ball over once, didn't do anything. I think there was a turnover on downs. They were giving up yards, but once you got inside the red zone, they they bow up. They, for, it, they make it a lot more difficult. You have to get explosive plays to score on this team. And when Maryland was able to get them, they were able to get some points. But yeah, it's it's not all that dissimilar from that Ohio State-Purdue game, except obviously it wasn't as explosive of a performance offensively for the Spartans. But this was just, they got this game over with early and then just kind of wrote it out in the second half. And it's it's an important win for them, I think, to get to bounce back after last week's loss to Purdue. I think it's a good sign that you know they have what they have in that locker room, just the confidence and the culture in there to be able to withstand that and not you know not sit there and feel bad about yourself and think you just threw your season away and still realize everything's still ahead of you. And again, with a huge game looming against Ohio State, could have been a sloppy performance here. All the excuses in the world to be like kind of crappy, even if you win this game, but they just came out and they looked really good and. I think that's my biggest takeaway from it. Also, like it's not like Maryland has unlimited talent, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when, when they lost Jones and when they lost uh, Demas, that kind of killed what they want to do on offense because Talia is not that good. And if you don't have real special guys on the outside there, it's just not going to work. It's not like their O line's that great, or they have special backs or special QB. They're just like I really wasn't worried about Michigan State today unless they just had a huge hangover or something like that. So that was like, should the under have hit? I think Chip probably had the right side there, but nice middle. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin five and two in conference play. Iowa five and two in conference play. Wisconsin has the head-to-head advantage over Iowa. Uh, Minnesota now drops to four and three. Purdue drops to four and three. Wisconsin wins the West. 
I think so. I th- I I think that I've, as I've been saying, they're in bump slayer mode again. They're they're when they're at their best, <laughs> when they're playing teams they're better in. And I don't even mean that as an insult. I mean because there are a lot of really good teams who play down to their competition. Wisconsin struggles against elite teams, and it just beats the hell out of the teams it's supposed to beat the hell out of it. I respect them for it. And you just look at the rest of their schedule. They got all the tough games out of the way early in the season. Now they've got to finish with Nebraska and Minnesota. And I don't really see either of those teams presenting much of a threat to this Wisconsin team. Um, all right. So what else stood out from uh, from the day? I mean, there's still a lot out there that we can chew on, but I don't want to dominate the conversation uh, the whole way. I got fooled by AM's offense. I'll raise my hand. I was wrong. I I don't know if I will blame you. Are you thinking about pace and like sort of the, the no no like they, they scored points against Bama yeah and then they 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 scored points against two really crappy defenses in South Carolina and Missouri and I was like you know what I think Calzada's turning the corner here he's he's much more productive and ultimately I think he just had the absolute game of his life against Bama and Jimbo had it things schemed up and he was ready for it and then he played two bad defenses. The last two weeks, I think they've scored three offensive touchdowns total mm-hmm. yeah. against against uh, Auburn and Ole Miss, and one of those Ole Miss ones was pretty clearly in garbage time. They uh, they're just back to not scoring points against good SEC teams, right? I think they have what they have one offensive touchdown against Arkansas, two against Ole Miss, one against Auburn. I'm missing another one, I'm sure, right? Oh uh, yeah, so, I mean, my note is that Zach Calzada turned into a pumpkin. Yeah. Zach Calzada needs to stop trying to like throw every football ninety five miles an hour. Yeah, I mean, he did he's not since he was a recruit. Like, yeah, so he's I'm got saying, one pitch. Like, he's got to learn how to, you know, he's got to learn when to ease up and add some touch and add some loft to a thing instead of just trying to like light up a radar gun on every single throw. It's like, my God, he's like five feet away from you, bro. Just toss it to him. I'll tell you what, um, Ole Miss just came in my own just sort of mental approach to looking at the SEC West and a lot of the top 15 to 20 teams in college football, this was like the um, just like rising up Ole Miss type performance because we didn't even get a super explosive offense. Like they did a good job of being able to run the ball when they needed to, but they were getting turnovers. Again, that calls out a pumpkin, but uh, I thought they did a good job of being able to just come up with some key stops in this game and now you just look up and you're like, all right, well, the Rebels are, you know, they've just got two losses on the season. They're probably going to be, after this win, somewhere up, you know, in and around the top 10 because of the head-to-head loss to Alabama and, you know, what Alabama has left. I don't think that Ole Miss is going to be the Texas A&M-like potential threat. Because remember, going into the weekend, the big narrative was, well, because Texas A&M has that head-to-head win against Alabama and Alabama still has Auburn, well, you never know. Texas A&M could find itself as a two-loss SEC champion. And that was people, if you were spinning that narrative, the fact that you were already giving Texas A&M a win against Georgia is preposterous. However, we move on. Guess what? Auburn lost. Texas A&M lost. Alabama absolutely rolled. I mean, I think we're to a point where Alabama is just going to win this and Ole Miss probably finishes at number two in the standings and gets a New Year's Six spot. Oh, don't, don't. Mississippi State fans are going to get you. The Egg Bowl's huge. The Egg Bowl's going to decide second place in the division. I where can't where is that game this year, Tom? Pretty sure it's in Starkville. I'm not 100% on that. 
Mississippi State's going to be favored, right? I would think so. If it's in Starkville, like, yeah, I think Ole Miss might be a dog. Yeah, unless they get some of their guys back healthy. I don't know if you guys saw any of that game today, but Mississippi State came back against Auburn. They were down 28 to 10 at halftime. They won 43 to 34. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. 40 I straight points. I yeah. got to watch a good amount of that fourth quarter. Um, we've nailed a couple things this year, and we, we missed some stuff too. I really like Auburn's secondary for the most part, but we did say like a couple times this year their, their pass rush, their D-line is not that great. They can cover guys usually. And ultimately, like they just weren't getting any pressure at all on Will Rogers, and he was repeatedly able to find guys that got open. That was that was a pretty wild tale of two halves. Um, I mean, not that wild. Mississippi State's been in some crazy games. It's a twenty-eight three lead, like the Falcons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you Auburn, know, there's a lot of Auburn fans who are also Falcon fans, right? Like, yeah, like about it's so close to Atlanta. Auburn's basically in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. so. When I've when I've covered games at Auburn, I've stayed in Atlanta. <laughs> you know, you got a problem with Auburn? You too uh, good to stay in Auburn? No, my assignments have hotel come chains a little, have a problem with Auburn. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say my assignments have come a little late in the game, and so yeah. you kind of go you can't find an Airbnb or just stay in somebody's dorm room. Chip, you're too good for the people. I am way too good to stay in someone's dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> man needs man needs a little bit of space <laughs> um okay as as we continue to uh spin around bud what else did you uh get your eyes on what else stood out today uh georgia tennessee so one thing we talked about on the locks pod was could tennessee force georgia to get out too high the answer no georgia said guess what we're gonna beat you up front with it with our standard base stuff we don't need to blitz you guys a whole lot we're not going to give you, you know, easy throws. And ultimately, here are Tennessee's longest passes before garbage time. 15, 29, 15, 19. Good night. Start the bus. All right. 14 yards and 10 yards were Tennessee's longest rushes. They did have two 50-yard passes. Both those were in garbage time late in the fourth quarter when they were down 34 to 10. Um, this Tennessee offense has now faced three defenses that have quality talent on it. And they've basically been kind of shut down somewhat in all three, Florida, Alabama, and Georgia, especially Georgia, obviously. But that was kind of the tail of the game. And then if you're going to play that fast and you're going to give Georgia that many cracks at it, Stetson Bennett threw some absolute dimes today. I was pretty impressed. That's your 45-second recap of that one. Yeah, we could stop talking about JT Daniels. Stetson Bennett, Stewart's quarterback. I, I don't think there's any more controversy. It's so, it's it's not an injury. It's nothing. It's just there's no reason to take Stetson Bennett off the field. And honestly, I think it's because he can scoot. Yeah, he adds, like, a, he adds another dynamic to the offense. Like the one moment where I was sitting there, and because Tennessee, I think got him for a couple sacks. You know, Tennessee's defense, I thought throughout the whole first quarter, did a, a pretty good job of at least getting off the field. You know, giving the ball back to the offense. And then when things got really tight, you know, you mentioned, yes, he definitely threw some dimes. He also just had to go make some things happen, like seven, even not necessarily first down runs, but uh, second and, and long. Now, all of a sudden, I'm just going to take off for what I can get seven or eight yards. I mean, Georgia is a Georgia's Georgia's got a throwback college offense. Michigan is a throwback college football team. 
Georgia's got a very, very throwback college football offense. And you know what? I'm here for it. I'm good with it. They're they're just really good. I mean, it's it's there's really nothing you can add about Georgia at this point that we haven't said a million times. They're just really good. And you every time you worry about something, you're reminded there's really no need to worry about it. I mean, yeah, that doesn't mean they're not gonna lose. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It's just it's like I don't know, like, oh, wow, they trailed for a minute today. Ooh, they looked super vulnerable, and then they still covered and won with ease. All right, I'll, I'll do this one for the the listeners who uh, who follow. Garrett asks, do we even want to tell them? Who is the mystery team from last week? But here's the thing. We already talked about this team earlier in the show. Uh, first person to guess it in the comments wins nothing but a high five. It's been guessed. <laughs> <laughs> but this team had a very, very good road win against another ranked team today. Today, and in Penn State, <laughs> <laughs> the mystery team was Michigan. We forgot and, and to talk and about and Michigan. Last we week. forgot to talk about Michigan because Michigan what beat Rutgers, right? Yeah. Who, by the way, just beat up on Indiana today? And Bud, you were, we were talking about it in texts that. Like for people, they're Indiana teammates, like getting into it on the sideline. That's yeah, just, I was surprised about that. Yeah, it's not great for the Hoosiers right now. Um, what'd y'all make of uh Pitt, North Carolina? Did y'all get a chance to watch that on Thursday? Yeah, um, Pitt's good, North Carolina, not that good. North Carolina's not bad, but they're not that good. UNC fought, you know, just. That was tough. That that sounds like you've got a ceiling on the pits good then. I think Pitt can win the ACC. Which is worth what? A lot. It's a conference title. It's a New Year's Six Bowl. That's awesome. I mean, it, it's you're not going to yeah, turn it's, it down. It's Pitt. Yeah. Like, what, what more do you want? If you're Pitt and you win the <laughs> ACC, I mean, you're going to be mad that you're not in the playoff? You'd be we, an idiot. I We hold these like... The goalposts should be moved, but it's like we pick apart all these other teams and then we land on a team like Pitt when Pitt is in first place in the ACC Coastal and now one win away, a win against Virginia next week, likely clinching the ACC now that Miami lost to Florida State. And we're like, yeah, good job out there. And the Kenny Pickett had the kind of stat line that has him on the same graphic with a Bryce Young during the Alabama broadcast because you threw your three touchdowns, you had your 300 yards passing, and man, the 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 sort of disjointed nature of that game. I guess I guess you're right, Tom. It was a throwback to like 2012 ACC where but, you were watching it, and the stakes were who's going to play in the ACC championship game, and the stakes were absolutely not who's contending for a national championship because yeah, that's what like 2010, 11, 12 ACC felt like. And that's why I hate this version of the playoff because it's made it like the NFL in that teams celebrate winning their division or celebrate winning the conference, but it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is whether you win the Super Bowl. And it's happened in college football where, like, winning your conference, who cares? You didn't make the playoff. And, you know, I would love it if, like, we, if they expand, I hope there's automatic qualifiers for conference champions because then it will restore some of the value of doing that. And if you're Pitt, you win the ACC, that is awesome. If you are Wake Forest and you win the ACC, that is awesome. 
Bud, you get any of that Thursday night action? Uh, no, I got zero of it, actually. It was uh, the, the things that stood out. Number one for North Carolina, as it has been all season, they cannot have their offense and their defense playing well at the same time. It is absolutely impossible. So for the first half, uh, the defense just doesn't – like the first half – the offense cannot move the ball at all. Pitt's defense is totally overwhelming. It is impossible. Then in the second half, you get North Carolina's defense being able to finally get some stops. North Carolina's offense climbs back in it, has a chance to win the game inside the 10-yard line with minutes left in the fourth quarter, and false start penalties uh, back them up. They end up having to kick a field goal. If Back Brown had not decided to go for two, what, back in the third quarter, then they would have had a chance not necessarily to kick a field goal to tie, but kick a field goal to win. I mean, there's just like a long string of absurd sort of twists and turns. It's very ACC, but, Bud, here's what gets the most ACC. There was a downpour in overtime that started. Oh, I did see that part. I kid you not, the moment that Pitt had scored its touchdown. Crazy. And Mac Brown said after the game, he said, if I had known there was going to be this huge downpour, then maybe I wouldn't have kicked the field goal to go to overtime. I would have tried to end the game right away. Um, just a very ACC coastal kind of game, I suppose. Uh, all right. So let's see what else stood out from the notepad. Cincinnati U- USF. No, the Bulls did not get it done, uh, even though it would have been hilarious after the uh, the early results, I appreciated everyone that chimed in on it as well as with the UConn 7-0 lead. But Cincinnati takes care of business. Clemson comes out with a win. Uh, no, Dino, mm, they they really took Lamar Jackson Day seriously at Louisville. Yeah. I do. I, Cincinnati, like the final score is 45-28, so it's going to be not impressive, blah, blah, blah. Cincinnati dominated that game. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get any credit for dominating it because they're Cincinnati, and they didn't win by enough, and they didn't cover the spread. But like South Florida jumped out to a 7-0 lead early because of a Desmond Ritter interception. So they had a very – I think they ended up with the ball at the two, and it was a one-play, two-yard touchdown drive. And then it was 31 straight points from Cincinnati. So like – South Florida scored 21 points in garbage time to, to make it look a lot closer than it really was. The Bearcats dominated that game. Nobody will care. They will be passed by both Michigan and Michigan State in the CFP rankings this week. You know, I, I do think last year's Cincinnati team was better than this year's Cincinnati team. And I, I got to watch some of that game, and like Cincinnati was moving the ball through the air really well. They really were struggling to run it for whatever reason. I think USF was obviously committing a lot of resources, you know, to the run. They have some line problems that that I think would probably hurt them against a better D line, which they don't really see in that league. But I think Notre Dame is a good D line and they they handle that pretty well. So, you know, like they've at least shown they can handle with that. They just, I mean, USF's not that good. And I thought Cincinnati in the second half, they just never really put their their foot on them. You know what I mean? Like it was, hey, now we're leading by 10. Now we're leading by 17. Now we're leading by, by 20. Like now back to 14. They, they could never really get that like final score or final stop. Like they give them an 80-yard touchdown, you know, right there. Also, nobody got any stops in the red zone in this game ever. It was just literally everybody just scored touchdowns. Nobody kicked any field goals. It, it, 
for somebody who had the under, very annoying. There was uh, one field goal. There was yeah, one. okay, there was one. Yeah. So so we talked about uh, you know, Texas uh, you know, kind of had the disaster scenario. Oklahoma fell short. Uh, how about a couple of shout outs for teams avoiding disaster? Because uh, UTSA found itself down in the third quarter against Southern Miss, ends up with the 27-17 win to improve to 10-0. and And Utah nearly went Pac-12 mm-hmm. in the time slot that I told y'all you should always be aware of because the, the game hole. doesn't exist in the black <laughs> hole that is the 2 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. But sure enough, uh, 38-29, to Utah is able to avoid an upset at the hands of Arizona. They remain in first place in the Pac-12 South. They've got Oregon coming up next, which will be tough, but they've got head-to-head wins against, I believe, the second and third place team in the division, Arizona State and UCLA. So the Utes being able to take care of business there, uh, you know, many, many props to the Roadrunners uh, and the Utes for being able to avoid what could have been a nearly disastrous upset. So I I didn't get to watch the UTSA game, but Trey Scott in our 24-7 sports Slack chat said that they were just going Frank Gore Jr. Wildcat. Yes. They were. Southern Miss yeah. was the entire game, which if you read some of these reports, Southern Miss is having to go like some of its offensive players play defense on Mondays, and then mm-hmm. on Tuesdays, some of its defenders have to play offense on Tuesdays because they're just down to that few scholarship players at this point, which is crazy. But uh, hangover game much for UTSA maybe? Probably. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Also, shouts to the alpha nerd. <laughs> Yeah, Missouri denying South Carolina's bid for a bowl defensively. Yeah. They looked a lot better, bud. You were on that. You, you mentioned how they looked against Georgia. They looked much stronger today. I think that was a big win for Mizzou. I think that was needed because, like, had they not gotten that win, things could have just kind of derailed and ruined the season for them and just left a really bad taste going off in their mouth in the offseason. Um, is Notre Dame, like, a legit playoff team now? No. I, I think UVA mailed this in. Like you, UVA still has a chance to win the division, I think. Right, Chip? Oh, yeah. yeah. And like they didn't play Armstrong. Somebody was saying it all day on CBS Sports HQ, just saying, hey, hey, look ahead of the schedule. You know, just if Brendan Armstrong, if it's 50 50, you might want to make sure he's ready for Pitt and Virginia but, Tech before you go out there and trot him out against Isaiah Foskey in this Notre Dame defensive front. But just what saying. I mean is this like Notre Dame just housed to Virginia today, 28 to 3. They're 9 and 1, and their last two games are against Georgia Tech and Stanford. So there's a very good chance this Irish team is going to be 11 and one. Correct. And there's a very good chance that an 11 and one Irish team might get in over a 12 and 0 Cincinnati. Not over the Cincinnati team that beat it because the best win that Notre Dame has, I think it's still going to be Wisconsin. And while Wisconsin continues to improve, I don't think that that is going to be better than Cincinnati's win against Notre Dame. But the overall like SOS will still be better than Cincinnati. And yeah, Wisconsin's going to be playing in the Big Ten title game. I hope we're not at that point. I would rather see two loss Alabama than one loss Notre Dame. I wouldn't. Does, does the AM and Auburn losing hurt two loss Alabama not yes. champ? Yes. Yeah, I, I think it out. Yes. 100%. I think two loss Alabama is dead. I didn't say that. Wait, I two think loss non champ. Two loss yeah. non champ Alabama is dead. Yes, I think that when I said when I say I would rather see two loss Alabama, that was my own person. That was not deserving. That was just Chip saying like I would rather watch this Alabama team in the playoff than watch this Notre Dame team. Not a most deserving or a prediction. So 
just to summarize, Chip, too good to stay in your dorm room and too good to watch Notre Dame in the playoff. <laughs> Not good enough for Chip. You don't meet the Chip Patterson standard. I mean, so let's let's rank the Notre Dame wins. Wisconsin, North Carolina, Virginia, USC, Virginia Tech. I guess Purdue should be higher. Florida State, Toledo, Navy. How are you going to just ignore their resume loss? To Cincinnati? Yeah, that's an impressive loss. Oh, and that Texas A&M loss is just not looking as good, even though you got wins over Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Well, they lost to an undefeated Cincinnati. You got to give them credit for that. Got to give them credit. Is Oregon going to lose? All right, so what is it? Seven points right now? Yeah, they're up 21-14, driving in the third. All right, so let's let's make predictions before we get out of here. Does Oregon have one loss when we wake up on Sunday morning? Yes. Bud? Oh. Maybe not. Oh, we lost him. Oh, we lost Bud. Uh yeah, I'll, I'll say probably. Do you think Wazoo's going to win this game? No, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. They probably oh, okay. lost. Yeah, when they wake up on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I can't put it past them. We've seen Oregon do some really dumb stuff before, and it is the Pac-12. Who knows? But I just, from what I've seen of this game, I do feel like Oregon's in pretty decent control of it. Yeah, I I agree with you. Well, we will all be keeping our eyes on all of the breaking news uh, throughout Sunday. Uh, Don't forget, uh, you have Bud's Bets on Sunday as a live stream on YouTube.com slash Cover 3. In terms of the podcast, we will be back with you on Monday with a pun further review. You can watch as we record live at 3 p.m. Eastern Time at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube and smash that bell. That's the way that you get notifications. And those notifications let you know when we go live. It was indeed a great Gut Check Saturday. We are happy to wrap it all up with you here on the Cover 3 Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Dosacero. Dosacero. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.